Aloha mai kako, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moana Nui podcast. I am Moana here and excited to have you guys with us. Thank you for tuning in and listening. I am joined by my beautiful co-host on that side. Hello, everyone. I'm Dana with um, also you can find me at Danica Vince. And I we're very excited for you to listen and ask questions to for our next guest. So our guest tonight is Dedrin Sneed. He's the creator and writer of the Glyph Comics award-nominated comic book series, Sorghum and Spear. And he's also the creator writer of the upcoming Turnkey comic book series. He is a writer, content creator, and being both a futurist and a retroist, his mind wanders throughout the space-time continuum with a 10-year plus or minus right around 1993 as the focal point for many of his fandoms. Uh, Dedron is also the co-host of the New Wakanda podcast and the head writer at Razorwing Incorporated. And we will bring him on now. Welcome, Dedron. Hi, y'all. Good day, ladies. And hope everyone at home is doing well. Good, good, good. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Let's kick it off a little bit by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up and how did you find yourself in comics and media? Yeah, let's see. So my name is Dejan Sneed. I'm from Snow Hill, North Carolina. And, you know, I've been in comics all my life as far as uh, looking at it from starting as a collector, as a kid and just through school. Always wanted to draw and, and make my own characters and, and tell my own stories and a lot of times just simply not seeing characters and, uh, and stories and situations that I felt like represented me and the people that I knew and the places I wanted to go, um, I started making comics. And a lot of times just finding myself at conventions and saying, you know, one day I'm going to be on the other side of that table. And, you know, making that plunge eventually with uh, my first comic book, Sorghum and Spear, and, you know, having looked back and, and now take my time, you know, to transition to a full-time opportunity to create comics and, and transmedia with a platform called Subsume, where we partner with like-minded individuals to, to work in the intersect of technology, creativity, and community. Now, Dedrin, what is your ethnic background and how does your culture influence your work? Thank you. That's a great question. So, Background for me, I, I pretty much identify solely as African-American, though I'm sure there's some parts and portions uh, of family that, you know, we can all draw from. But, you know, I'm happy to look at myself as first a, a devout Southerner. So I think mm -hmm. my Southern upbringing and, and, and rural in Eastern North Carolina, where there were more pigs than people and and, and <laughs> the, the fireflies told you when to go home. You know, I grew up in a, a, a very uh, isolated space. Uh, that said, you know, I, my, my love affair with books, just any type of books from comic books, encyclopedias to anything I could get my hand on. And the best thing I, you could give me was a blank piece of paper. Right. And just kind of growing up in that sense. And just my family was extremely small, but um, in a good sense, looking back, were very well read. Like We had a lot of newspapers come through the house. Uh, my mom was always a proponent of, you know, if you can do anything else, you can sit down and learn. So my thing was always to sit down and learn things. And uh, with that, yeah, just again, for me, I was the, the kid at home taking apart computers and saying and restapling comics and, and trying to make things. So I've always been a maker in that sense. And I think that just, yeah, just that good, that what we call good air quotes, uh, you know, traditional Southern livings uh, been a, a big play into the way that I draw from. So a lot of that's community. Uh, matriarchy is a, a big thing for me. Uh, I grew up pretty much in a, a home with with just women, and so I think looking at uh, like that that lineage and and that passing of culture and secrets and and I guess in more of like a, almost in a Cortesian type way, like just that the language of women is just something that's always enamored and enamored me and always found like a, a source of strength and power. And and to that, all of my characters just in happenstance, probably influenced by that in some ways and form, were always women. So like if there was always if there was a, a lady character on a video game, I'd always choose her. Or if there was uh, a character that it was all men, I was like, well, okay, there's gotta be a lady in here somewhere. And, and kind of looking back at it at that, I think it was just like 
that's how my very first Dungeons and Dragons campaign started, which ended up being a lot of the story that we see now for Sorghum and Spear, because it was just the idea uh, when I went to college, um, I went to NC State, and you know I was that very stereotypical D and D nerd uh, growing up. I just had like a massive amount of books, and I was so happy to try to have people play. But uh, when I went to NC State, it was a chance of the actually find just other kind of black geeks uh, for the very first time. So I wasn't the one in my county. Like, you know, that was, I was that nerd. Everybody knew to come to me if you needed like, uh, what is it? Like the, uh, if you needed to know like a cheat code for like the Sega Genesis or something, like <laughs> people call my house, uh, you know, you know how to, you need know, to take some apart or, you know, why was, you know, who did Skeletor bring in on episode three? You know, I, I just had all this geek stuff memorize at this point. Um, but at that same time, um, there's a lot of Pan-Africanism going on when I was mm -hmm. in college. And again, we kind of, that was the first time I think I truly took a step back and looked at, you know, what was being represented on the page, right? It was the character, some characters were black. And of course we always would, would engage and try to look at who's the black character on the, on the, on the show, right? It's like we had to make Panther the black Thundercat, right? We had the, <laughs> You, know, you you had to find just you're trying to find yourself so hard yes. in media back then um and then a lot of times you know taking a more reflective look at it a lot of times it wasn't um the word one because one could say authentic but then another one could say you know appreciate it and you could tell you know very plainly that you know we weren't writing our own stories and i think with that in you know, a chance to write stories is why i really fell in love with, like dungeons and dragons and fantasy and role-playing games because as a dungeon master, I could write the story. And then in a sense, you know, being able to make this narrative where there was a group of women that were saving the world this time. And they happen to be black women because I can't find any book that that exists in. So we're going to make one. And so that started back in the, the 90s. It was called Bronze and Blood. And it was a, a fact that these uh, these women just went around and just beat everything up. Right. Every, anything that they could do. Um, the fight, and a lot of times that's the the, dungeons, the fun of, of Dungeons and Dragons back then, and being able to draw the characters and make them that's where it started. And my character was named Amazi. And you know, over time, you know, eventually when I, I, I went back to think, okay, what could I make a comic book of? And I grabbed all these old Dungeons and Dragons stories that I'd written and put it together and, and, and aged back my character to when she was a girl, and a lot. That is the the story of the very first book, Sorghum and Spear. That's so cool. Um, so speaking of Sorghum and Spear, in in that series, um, the All Mother Eshe is modeled off the iconic and beautifully talented Michelle Nichols. Did you mean to have Eshe favor this iconic figure, and how did that happen? Oh, absolutely. That was as intentional as it could possibly be. Uh, thinking back to those examples of people and finding yourself. Uh, represented in, um, you know, in, in your fandoms. Uh, I love science fiction as well as fantasy. And one of my earliest memories of seeing uh, a black character on television was Nichelle Nichols. And now it wasn't on the original Star Trek. It was actually on the Nickelodeon cartoon of Star Trek that um, came on. And so she was the black character there. And I can remember just playing with toys and I saw, you know, seeing her character on there and I'm like, who is that? Right. And she sounded she was smart and, you know, drawn, drawn well, I guess, for as, as a young kid could say. Um, and it was just like uh, that was just my character. So whenever that show came on, I was just right there in the front. And, and then going back, eventually being able to see Star Trek, that that was a wrap, you know, between Star that. And so she's always been like my um, my character that I'd always go back to when I was drawing or looking at it and it was a fandom and an admiration of who she was not only with the um with her classic role there but again eventually finding out you know her influence outside off screen and in later years it was like she really had a lot of good intersects back then to you know representing not just black people not just women not just people of color but then taking that legacy and making it translate to something off off screen and so the other people that she influenced by her just simply by her presence, but then even more so by her action, made it where she was somebody I just, I've always just revered. And eventually, just like a lot of conventions, kind of going back to it, fast forwarding, 
you know, as a strapping young man, there was a couple of times I had a chance to to meet her. But again, it's in a very uh, the same sense that a lot of times back before COVID, when you can actually interact with people, uh, you know, you could get in line and you could get things signed. So <laughs> I had a uh, I've got a Barbie doll of her and uh, and I wanted it signed. And so um, so it just kind of it was a very first thing. And it was year after year. I'd bring some part of memorabilia and like uh, on the Eastern Coast, just uh, would always find her and find find some reason to get in her line to get something signed. Long and short, um, I'd said something in passing, like, you know, one day I'm going to make a comic book and and I'm and then you're going to be in it. You know, and I'm sure just like she's heard this a million times. And eventually, a couple of years later, when I did make Sorghum and Spear, I came back with her and I and I left a copy with her and and said, OK, you know, I, I finally did it. Of course, she didn't remember that. Um, <laughs> but eventually one of her people reached back out to me and said, you know what? She wants to talk to you about about this book. And so I had a chance to like converse with her uh, about the book and, and my appreciation of her and things like that. And and it's just one of those things that it ended up being great timing where I had no idea no what intentions of of bothering this lady no more than I already had. Uh, <laughs> but um, a, a special opportunity between that and long short is that Sorghum and Spear um, was picked up uh, with a, as an animation. Uh, and so then this thing became a thing. And, and it was OK, we're well, now I'm out in. California trying to get this show pushed to the next level, you know, get it out of development. And so they brought her on as as a voice for her character, which obviously gives some credence to that. And so now we're business partners. And so now I'm at her house talking like like this is like not real. This is not reality. <laughs> and, um, you know, and in that sense, uh, you know, it just it just it was a, a special time for anybody, that's a special time anytime, but it was especially special um, because I felt like it was it was kind of just a 180 vindication of you know what idea and the concept somebody had spon- had uh, inspired me just and it meant so much uh, to like be sitting you know having tea with this lady is like that that's not real and I mean it still makes me smile to this day that you know thinking of her always you know that those were those were like some great opportunities and some great times to connect. And and then eventually when she came back to Atlanta for what ended up being her final show, um, she was gracious enough to to have dinner with me and, and some select friends. And present company um, might have had a chance to uh, to break bread with us. And it was it was it was the time of my life. And and this lady bestowed a kiss on my cheek that I feel to this day. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I was done. So I'm I'm completely in love with this woman. And um, and again, she just means so much um, creatively and personally. So it was it yeah. was just a, you know a great overall story for me. Yeah, what an honor that is. Um, I mean, Nichelle Nichols, she set you know the foundation for so many um, you know black women in, in in you know in media and in, in film. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of like um, what you were talking about, like finding yourself represented in fandoms. That's something I definitely you know tried to do too as a kid and for me it's really hard because like I'm Hawaiian and there's <laughs> even now there's very few right so but I, I definitely gravitated more to the people of color and definitely for Star Wars my um, I mean not Star Wars Star Trek I'm sorry mm-hmm. um, don't shoot me guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my um my mom, you know, was a big fan of that. And so we would watch that. And she, you know, she was the character that I would definitely gravitate to. So I, I'm just, yeah, wow. Um, it should, be, it, I bet it was interesting. Like, how do you control your fanboy, you know, like in those, <laughs> in oh, those, yeah. in those moments, uh, right? <laughs> oh, right. Uh, you know, you try to have, be as manifold and mindful of the point. Uh, there, the short answer, there is no control. You have to kind of get it out <laughs> some other way, right? Um, but again, I think the, the way for me was to, to try to, to try to honor her legacy as best I could with like the next campaign that we did. And so I think making it, that's kind of, I think that's, that was my release of trying to really bring like the best of the best that I possibly could to, to honor her legacy in a, in a way and, and show like, you know, this wasn't just me fanboying, but it was me wanting to, to be honorable and, uh, and kind of make the impact, I hope that like her presence in the book would be for some young girl or some person 
to uh, to see the same way that she impacted me. You could just tell like how she was so enamored by, you know, not only the artwork of herself, but the work itself. And then, you know, like he, you know, I was so interested in how it went, she went from that to now, you know, becoming an executive producer for your animation and the voice actor. And I mean, especially, you know, you could tell how much she loved you. It's like kissing you on the cheek and just grabbing you close and everything, uh, whatever yeah. she saw you at all. But um, it with that, the whole animation, it's like, you know, I was actually going to ask you, like, how did that come that we were, you were able to get that piece of her being more involved in it, but, uh, and with that whole process and how she, you know, with her being a producer and being your partner also with the animation, is she adding her own flair or her own influence in helping the animation take its form from the comic? That's a, that's a perfect question. And I would say that at least for the the influence that she had uh, initially was in some of the the language that uh, Eshe had in the in the next book. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, we look at it. And of course, you know, I, as timeless as she is, we have to have this particular consideration based on her age and and things that you know we don't want to take any interaction with her for granted. You know, we want to yes. make sure that we can kind of have the best of that. So we actually did an audio recording, and with her, and um, so she actually went in. So we had written a script, and so we um, went to her house and went over the script. And and basically line by line, you know, she went through and talked about, you know, well, what does this mean? Because we have words like abiku and, and other parts. Mm. And so she was really engaged in making sure like the way that her character talked would be something like she felt like she would be imparting like wisdom to, you know, a life lesson to somebody. And so we did a, a couple of takes of that uh, to kind of record for posterity. And, you know, she I mean, she really actually like writ had it written a um you know just a beautiful piece that was poetry by the time she finished with it right <laughs> yeah. you can tell it was like a, a life parable and so like some of that in the so we have that in the, the book that will uh that we have for release from the kickstarter here now mm-hmm. and so that was her point of at least like the actual direction of it and again from there our opportunity was to to try to make this a, a commitment that we could that would be sustainable for her and again, you know, I think at that time she had a, a recording role on a soap opera where, again, she was um, doing just small, smaller takes. But again, you know, still with that same gravity and, and, and same, you know, and basically same presence that, you know, we all know her for. And so that was the mix that we we had to start off with. And right now is still in that same standpoint. <laughs> yeah, I Dedrin gave me a chance to to read the book, um, you know, before he sent it out to the Kickstarter backers, and it was very well done. I will say the specific parts that you talked about, you know, for her, you know, her character and the lessons, it definitely comes through like in a, in exactly like you intended. Um, it's just a very comforting and uh, guiding presence um, to the you know all of the women who are in this story. Um, and I'm really excited to see, you know, like once people get it, what they think about it. Cause I loved it and I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> oh, all right. No, no, I'm, I'm honorous. And, uh, you know, we're excited and, and absolutely, uh, one of it should have created, uh, Sarah A. Macklin, uh, who came in as an editor to, to support us on this, but her, she, it transcends editing, you know, she so much so that we'll have to have her as a, we will have her as a, as a co-writer on the, the series going forward. Because she really helped uh, bring some uh, some fantastic points, um, just not only in the, the story that we had, but in being able to shape this into the saga that we truly wanted to be. Right. So I think she really brought a a an expertise that you know myself as a writer, um, you know, I could see that I I needed to to make this meet all those expectations for not only what we had for this book. But to make it something that could go forward, so absolutely, uh, shout out to Sarah on that. So she she really helped shape that that resonance that I feel like the book has. Uh, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but where did you draw your inspiration for the world of Sorghum and Spear? 
Sorghum and Spear came from a love affair of two of two Dungeon Dragon properties. One's called Dragonlance, and one's called Forgotten Realms. And so those are very high fantasy. They they feel more like Lord of the Rings, and and Dragonlance is more of the uh, well, Forgotten Realms is like the the main kind of what we think about when we think of Dungeons and Dragons, fighting goblins and going about. Um, and Dragonlance was was more of like honor and romance or almost a th um, an Arthurian take to it. Um, but those two were, were fantastic books, but they were no black people. There were no brown people. They were none of those. And I remember it was a summer where there was a new set that was coming out. It's called Dark Sun. And this was the one where there were going to be people of color. And so I, I remember getting it and I probably still have that original box somewhere in this house. Um, but, and I got it and there were black people on it, but they looked like slaves. They're like slaves that were breaking out of chains, right? <laughs> they were, they were people that were out in the middle of a desert, you know, and they, but they didn't seem to be, it wasn't as, I guess the way I felt uh, not a sense of disappointment, but it was the idea of when they finally make this world that's full of, of brown and black people, it's the idea of slavery and and it just didn't feel right. And I know this wasn't their intent, but again, we see this all the time in Hollywood, you know, where it's that, you know, if there's a story that's told to like a, a, a particular size, a particular budget, it's got to be you're overcoming oppression or you're stuck in this circumstance or, you know, we're the we're the help that's helping somebody else move along. And I felt like it was a great setup, but it didn't tell anything about it. In Africa didn't exist. None of these parts that I couldn't draw anything from it outside of, you know, they just kind of made these people brown and, and made them where they're in a hard situation. And so my thing was, okay, we're going to take a great rule set that they have and let's make something that's a little different. And at that point, uh, I was looking for my own kind of connection to, to Africa. It was more, again, in that sense of Pan-Africanism of trying to figure out, you know, what do I truly know about Africa, you know, from like the diaspora, from language or any of those parts and just realized my stuff really was was pretty basic and it started looking at, OK, well, what's something that I could find that would be like a good story that if I had to go had to look at something that's kind of Dungeons and Dragons like in in this whole continent of, of history and heritage, what could I find? And so I was drawn to the story of the Dahomey Amazons of Benin. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, and for folks that may know uh, or don't know, um, they're a, uh, not only a fighting force of women um, that protected the uh, the kingdom of, of, of Benin at the, from the turn of century France, but also um, they are thought to be the, um, thought to be one of the draws for the uh, Amazons of, of uh, from DC's Wonder Woman, mm -hmm. uh, so like the Odyssey of the Amazons. Of course, we think of Amazons and we think of, uh, you know, of those of like Brazil and indigenous uh, people there. But there is some context to this, uh, not only a fighting force, but a governing force. So I think that's the other part, too, is that they operated with this sense of autonomy and and the same way that we think of Spartans and these war Vikings and warriors of history, like they stand right there with it. They were skilled mm -hmm. with rifle, they're skilled with hand to hand combat. But this is like not fantasy. This these are real people. Right. And it, it's a real part of, of a culture that until I actually went to, to look for it, I had no idea. And so we used that and said, okay, these are these are Dahomey Amazons and, and the word that they use is Mino. And so we changed our character's name is like so that's the subset or the character class that you could be. So instead of being a, a barbarian or a priest or a warrior, we can make a you know. And so that meant that you were like an ascendant warrior that could do these type of things. And so then I went out and the same time we were trying to get people to, to learn to play Dungeons and Dragons. That's not a thing that we think of as a as an air quote black activity, especially <laughs> coming into the nineties. Uh, for a lot of folks. Um, but it was like, you know what? Look, we can make something. If you come here, you know, we can start looking through these books. And if you see something that you want to make and, you know, we can make it. And it was the idea of us just being able to sit around and not only play this game and play this game and, and kind of make a 
a world that we felt like was represented, but again, uh, made us appreciate and find a way to actively try to look up and, and learn about African history uh, outside of African-American history. And so right. that was where that gave us just a breath, just a wealth of information to, to build from. And so for all the characters that we work on with Sorghum and Spear, I try to take some snippet of of a diaspora look from African, Latin America, indigenous and 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 traditional um, uh, traditional cultures and try to bring some part to that into the story, into the backdrop, into the character design. So working with someone like a well into Nomo, who's who, who likewise loves history like me in, in that sense, you know, we'll we'll spend we'll spend weeks trying to design their shoes right so we want to make make it particularly when um when we so when we focus so much on on women of color particularly black women that we're doing our due diligence not only from a design standpoint but from uh from a, a partnership standpoint and so you know we, we try to be extremely appreciative of of doing that doing that due diligence and and bringing those partnerships in so likewise, it's a learning experience for us every time we we make a page, and so that's that's been part of the the the, the happiness that's been of making this book, but also it's in part of the <laughs> the time that it takes to, to get this book out as well. So uh, if anything, I try to honor and, and appreciate all all parts of it, um, and it's fun for me. And to that point, just trying to figure out the way to yeah to just make it. Uh, to make it resonate uh, the way that I hope it comes across. Now, given the misrepresentation throughout throughout history, how important is storytelling in capturing authentic narratives? Oh, I, I think that's that's everything. I think you know we we always, particularly as much media and things that we consume, there's always a line of things that are appropriation versus appreciation. No, that's a that's that can be perspective. We always don't know know another person's background or story or experiences. But at the same time, I think we have enough shared culture, particularly in the geek culture. I mean, and I think that's what draws us all to it is that, you know, there's what we see and, and what we feel in that fandom. And it's such an emotional attachment that we find in the fantastic, particularly in the black and inclusive fantastic storytelling, because as Juana said about you know her her own perspective, it's, it's hard to find. And then I think when you find it, for us, it it means that much more when we see it done and done well. But at the same time, it hurts that much more when we see it done poorly. Yeah. So I think that's that part that for Superman could, you know, something could you know, we kind of use it in a, in a general sense. Superman doesn't affect white culture the same way that Black Panther affects Black culture, right? Mm-hmm. It's you know if we look at it just from a apples to apples of the way that they handle those characters, I mean it doesn't matter. Superman is going to be here for forever. Uh, you know you think it took twenty some plus years for them to think to do Black Panther, and then it was apprehension to do that. So it's like just a way to say that even with the same things and with the same ability and same audience, that that stuff's treated differently. But if we disseminate it down to for the independence where we're all able to craft our own story and craft our own narrative, I think that's where one our our stories resonate, frankly, resonate better. And from those people that find and find the time and, and find us in these spaces, I think that we find those engagements to be not only more authentic, but more sustainable. So I think when we find people that that share that that same passion. And the same appreciation for unique stories and for unique storytellers that we know that that's, you know, that's our humanity, that, you know, that's our um, that's our empathy. That's that's our most precious resource, particularly in times like now. Right. So it's it's something that makes that makes the valuation of such just priceless. And so I think story is is everything. I think it it transcends every other aspect of, of what we do as creatives. Okay, so trans transitioning a little bit, you all, you're also a host on your own podcast, the new Wakanda podcast. What inspired you to create that, and can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, absolutely. So the uh, new Wakanda podcast, uh, I co-host with Colin Kell, who is a 
a writer, a cosplayer. Um, that's uh, she had so many, so many titles: essayist, womanist, and uh, an overall uh, geek girl. That absolutely taught me a lot through our, our years of doing this podcast. And the podcast for New Wakanda is one about Black creativity, but I think it's for us. It's been a, a cathartic release of, of where we are in the space. Um, as black creatives, not to say, hey, this is my new project, but hey, this is what this project has meant or has done or has affected me. And I think we're, for this, it's been a chronicle of, as an independent creator, now particularly independent creators of color, um, in, a, uh, in, a, in a cultural, kind of in a culturally accelerated space uh, here in Atlanta, Georgia, where so much is going on and you're just one person trying to get your story out. What does that look like? What does that sound like? And how is it when things go wrong? As a lot of times we find things go wrong more than they go right. <laughs> and uh, and us just being just honest and in and, and real and, and in an uncensored space, you know, us just getting together and this is what happened, right? This is why I did this project. This is what I hope it happened. And this is what did and didn't happen. And uh and in a real sense, us trying to figure out that creative journey. So we talk about that as as our part, and we get it all the time. And I'm sure for y'all as well, where folks are coming to you because they see you, they see themselves in you, they see representation and and support in the things that you do, and they want to know, well, how did you get started? Where did you come from? And well, I think we can all answer that, but I think it's also important for us to be uh, able to honestly express where we are. Versus mm -hmm. where we started and where we, you know, that that space in between, a lot of times for us as creatives is when we're most quiet and frankly most vulnerable, and yeah. that's where so many so many dreams stop right there. Yeah, right. It's easy to start. It's easy to get a table. It's easy to get that first win. Yeah. But it's that space in between when when we're not talking to each other when the when the convention's over, you know, yeah. and and it's just you and your your day job more than likely and 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 your realities and you know how do you get from get back to this space right and it's, it's us talking about trying to get back sometimes not making it back and sometimes you know being able to figure out you know if if not then then what's next one of the many things you do is write for um razor wing um incorporate mm. which is a company in the gaming space right Tell us a little about that, and how does writing games compare to writing comics? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so with Razorwing, uh, they're the transmedia platform that works in augmented reality and uh, an intersection of augmented reality and clothing. So they have a, a gaming platform that intersects, um, just in, in a future sense, uh, that basically the clothing that you wear affects the gameplay that you have. Oh. And so they're they're they are about <laughs> ten years ahead of, of where of where my mind could be on some of these things, but um, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity again to to kind of be able to craft a storyline um, about a, a desolated world and the people that interact with each other. You know, basically are trying to figure out friend from foe, and basically the in a sense of being able to figure out the. The scans that your clothing give off, it, it becomes a puzzle game more so of like how are you friends and, and how can you interact with this person? Being able to try to write for that, it's been more of trying to write backstory and make the interactions match more so than trying to tell people how the story is to go. So to kind of clarify that a bit, all I'm trying to do is get you get two people to stand in front of each other and understand what the rules of engagement are for this game but say for sorghum and spear i have to make you care about namazi and why this girl with all this power refuses to use it mm. right and and so i think that's the part of figuring out the the nuances for each because like everything you know we write the write the pages to you know write the words of the page but it's that interpretation that you want you know you want it to resonate you want there's a certain reaction a certain expectation that you want them to have when they flip turn the page. And so in gaming, it being so interactive, there's a thousand different things that somebody could do. 
And you have to, in that sense, and that's for programmers and other parts to, to play in that too, is we you have to figure out, you know, of these a thousand things, what should be next. So it's a bigger it's bigger in that space, but the page turn is just is is the words as you have them. So it's a, a different mode of thinking. But I think for that, because this game is is more based on human interaction more than repressing a button. Uh, if you think of it kind of in a, a more of a Pokemon go, right? They have to think of you could go anywhere in the world, you know, literally in the world, and they've got to attribute that. You know, Psyduck is here and, you know, this rare Pikachu's there and, you know, they, so you have to write the story to be engaged to, for you to make, to make you do a certain action or to have a certain expectation. And so trying to develop games is, uh, is kind of part of our transmedia platform because I feel like the same way that we look at comics, we look at television, we look at film, games is right there, right? So some of the biggest things in the world are Among Us and Fortnite, and those are multi-billion dollar platforms that influence all of our kids and, uh, and a lot of adults as well. But at the same time, there's story in that. There's narrative in that. And and again, there's also opportunities with representation in that. And so that's where I look at it to say that being able to write in characters a lot of times that might be overlooked or underrepresented um, as well as finding ourselves in the technology space to design and develop those as well uh, are the key points that I also try to bring into soon. So in some kind of working with Razorwing, not only allowed me to write a story and write the narrative that, that could culturally um, find myself or have others see themselves represented, but also help to bring a technical acumen that you know, I can also be in that space as a developer, you know, as a producer, and also be able to ensure that the those visuals and that those um, cadences of, of the way that people see a virtual world that they're included there as well. So along with that, what are some of the challenges you face writing games, and which do you enjoy writing more, the games or the comics? Well, let's see. Writing games is is fun because it, it, it depends on the platform, right? Because side scrolling games are different from role playing games, or kind of mm -hmm. like the we say like a World of Warcraft versus a Sonic the Hedgehog, right? They both require writing. They both require some story, some narrative, you know, a reason for you to care about the characters. But, you know, that, that could be exponentially different for one to the other. That's part of the excitement of writing for games. But the thing with games is you don't control how the pages work. And as a writer, you have to write towards what the, what the gameplay does. Right. So there's not any role playing elements in Sonic for a lot of those games. So, right. So that stuff doesn't work there. You have to simply make people understand, you know, what happens when you grab 100 rings. Right. Or, you know, why does it grab 100 rings? Why is that important? You know, yeah, you kind of outlining more of more narration versus, um, you know, well, what does Sonic do when he goes home? Right. It's none of that. You don't care. You, you care, but you don't care. Look for how some people write to that. So it's not as in depth, I guess to say. And, you know, before a role playing game, that's it's all narrative. The people could care less and less about how the game actually plays, but they care more about their character's development. So if you look at something like uh, you know, Final Fantasy is a development in that series where it started, you know, but it's it kind of is in that sense now. But I think it's something more like, the game Among Us is a great idea in the premise, right? It doesn't have a lot of writing because it has a lot more of the interaction with the people. So you wouldn't write as much for that. You just want people to understand what their situation is. And then you want humans to be humans and do all the things that we do, right? And, and so that part works. So all that to say, I still prefer writing for comics more uh, because I think with that, you, get, you have a lot more control. Mm -hmm. That can be... That's the good and the bad, right? That it can just be you and you can just write the story and you know how it ends. And again, in that sense, as long as you can get an artist to uh, to understand and interpret, you know, what your what your vision is for the way the story goes, then you, you pretty much are set. But in games, you absolutely have to have developers and other parts and people who may not be as involved in the story process because mm -hmm. they may be more just more oriented in, in other ways of, of developing and being creative. I mean, but you all have, but you have to make it work in the confines of, of that as well. That's interesting. That's that's actually really helpful because um, 
at one point we had been talking with someone who was, you know, had the idea that we should do um, kind of like a um, app for, you know, the Wildcard Chronicles. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, I said, that's, that's like a whole other world. Like, this is not just going to happen overnight. I'm like, let's just focus on the comic for now. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that, that can be, you know, if uh, you know, with resource like everything, you know, resources can help that stuff out. But you know, it it can be, it's a great exercise, yeah. you know. And again, you don't even have to have a game to, to writing in gaming. But again, I think all there as all the things that we see in the transmedia world, it's all about to be the same difference in a real sense. If you're able to write towards a script and a story, that's that that's it's it's just so much. It's becoming so similar now. You know, if you think of like the cutscenes in a game, there are many movies at this point, right? And you know, it's it's the same way. They're directed by by um directors from film now, and you know, all that stuff is is it's all about to be a one of one. That it's just they're gonna just beam all of it to us at once. So again, that writing stuff is uh is always gonna be critical. But I think, you know, we're thinking about different platforms that it, it all is gonna mesh sooner than later now um you have a big event coming up on saturday february 6th what do you have planned and what can attendees expect to get out of this experience yeah so i'm looking at creating a a pop-up event for our our platform subsume but we have a a virtual engagement uh, platform that allows people to come in through a, a virtual reality setup and create an avatar and actually interact with people in in real time. So the event, strangely enough, I haven't named yet. It is just going right now. I've been playing with the idea of of Black Future Month versus Black History Month, hmm. right? And so the idea is that we obviously we're you know we all want to reflect and appreciate the the legacy of uh, of, of all that is happening is happening, but. It, as a futurist, I also want to look at and appreciate that we're all making a, a, a collaborative and creative future right now, mm-hmm. and that the stuff that we're doing resonates further than we know. Mm-hmm. But I think collectively, if we look at it in that sense, that you know our future is obviously based from the past and and the foundation of the present, but we want to look at ourselves as having a space and a place in the future. Whether or not that's through technology, through creativity, through uh, jobs, through government, you know, we have to. I think that's a part of of our Black history, right? Is uh, the way that I look at it. In my perspective, is the idea of like speculative fiction and Afrofuturism is you have to be able to see and imagine yourself in the situations you want to be, even if it's something that you yourself may not be able to obtain. But I think of it as you know, we look at the you know, if we look at it from even in a simple sense or a simple parable of the, you know, the the legacy of of indentured servitude and slavery in America, that you know these people imagined being free, imagined you know, eventually, you know, it would be speculative fiction to think of a black president or a, or a, a person of color uh, woman vice president. You know that you walked and said that at that point, that's you couldn't you couldn't conceive that. But somebody did conceive that, right? It's the way, you know, somebody had to imagine that there's something better than this. And there's something better that the work that I do today, I may not see the uh, the results of, but that that is part of a legacy forward. And so that's that's what happens. And I mean, and the more and more we go back and look at history, we see that those people were future forward. They're future thinkers. They weren't, they didn't look at their circumstances. This is what it is. It's more of, even in this circumstance, I, I'm dared. I dare to dream of what can be, right? And so my thing is, I think looking at it in that sense of that, what we have control over now is even with uh, all the great stories and storytellers that we know, that we need to look at ourselves and, and picture ourselves in those successful and influential spaces in these futures. So as we're looking at video games and technology and parts, and the future doesn't always have to mean tech, because I think for us. The future is still very much paper. It's still very much human interaction. And the further that we create uh, a digital version of ourselves, that just again increases the valuation of our physical selves. So we want to make sure that we're all we have a space and a place to 
ensure that we we have that lens to say, you know, what we do here today impacts tomorrow. That's a rambling way to say is I haven't fixed it yet. And you're going to try to make that the, the title or title-ish. And uh, we're going to make it, it's going to be a free event and an engagement. Obviously, we'll pass that along to you and, and your subscribers. Um, but we just want people to just come in and be able to see and appreciate that you know, we still, despite all the things that are, are different and, uh, and are impacting us, that we still have a, a collaborative impact on our future. So, um, and that's probably more of a nod to N.K. Jemison's, you know, how long till Black Futures Month? So we mm -hmm. say, well, you know, we, I think we're going to make Black Futures Month and uh, and try to do something in that sense. I like that. When you said it, I was like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds good. So we talked a little bit about a bunch of your um, different endeavors, and you founded not only Green County Creative, but also Subsume, which we... We, your, which is your platform to support the writers, artists, um, technologists, and social innovators. Um, what inspired you to de develop all of these platforms and what things can we expect in 2021? It's a great question. So, so Zoom came about with a, I think it was just a perspective of that I have an opportunity to support a lot of people with their crowdfunding campaigns. So. Uh, early on, I wasn't—I was a, a fair adopter to Kickstarter and, and work well in that space. And and a lot of uh, indie, particularly black indie creators, uh, have asked me and continue to ask, you know, how how to set up and how to to set up things for their crowdfunds and and how to build out audience engagements with with their work. I uh, also get a chance to to see as kind of in, in consult uh, a lot of their work and and try to navigate. Uh, thing to the way that I think that folks want their their work to be, um, but that said, um, it was an idea of we're all out here doing it ourselves, but I think there's a way for all of us to do it together. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of Subsume was to try to make it a platform that was a was a support foundation uh, for folks that we could all try to ease the burden of trying to do it all alone. So I think it's a way that I used to say it or say it still in, in kind of uh, relating back to our idea of being able to see our future and our ancestors doing this was that we can't share crop our dreams. Right. We can't as a, a collective of a creator, particularly for for people of color, we can't wait for our turn to come. But we've seen so many times that that it's not even that people in space, but that time rarely comes. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't come without extreme effort. And even when it comes, it doesn't come with lamentation and a lot of times confrontation for you to have what what should be an inalienable right. And the thing is, you know, for us, the things that we're asking for are very simple, right? We're just asking to to make comic books, to be able to tell our stories and, and somehow, some way not make this where we have to make the decision of making a book and, and paying rent. Right. So we, we there's an idea of this starving artist that, you know, history's taught us that, you know, to be good at art, you can't be you can't be good at art and and have a full stomach at the same time. Or you can't be good at art and be appreciated while you're alive. It's the mm -hmm. idea of, you know, we can we can do all those things. And I think the pandemic's uh, been a perfect, a perfect uh it's a perfect circumstance to see that how much the arts and media and all these things influence our life. Right. It's uh, all the things that we took for granted. Now, when, you know, we're in a pandemic, you see like how much do you rely on these streaming services and books and things to not only engage and teach, but just to, to stay sane. Right. And now we have it we, and we're insatiable creatures. We, we can't make, we can't make this stuff fast enough. Or the places that we used to get it can't make it fast enough. So I mean, that, I think that also makes it a, a great opportunity for us as any creators to find our voice and not only to find our voice recognized, but to find agency in that voice that we don't have to ask permission to be our best selves. And so that was the idea was subsumed. And there was a creator that I felt like really got what I was trying to put down with. We're trying to make that collective uh, with Marco Lopez, um, who. It was somebody I was a fan of to start off with, and I mean this gentleman, as I, you know, as Eisner, uh, uh, Eisner winning editor, um, had a lot of a lot of books and and had a lot of the same ideas of 
know, the world works different than, than the way that we're trying to make ourselves work, right? We see it just, it's just the economics of it, that we can, the things that we're asking for aren't impossible. But I think if, if because everybody has so many other things as any creators, a lot of times have to focus on and, and work on to try to get their work even seen, not even seen, but just done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes it takes a it takes a Herculean effort to make a single comic. I'm a personal witness and attest to that. Just that one twenty two pages can cost you your life. Mm-hmm. You, you know, in, in a sense, you know, it, it's uh, it's something that we want to um, we want to avoid. We want people to focus on the things that they're good at. So whether that's an artist, that's a writer, that's a penciler, that's a podcaster, we want to make people able to yeah fulfill their dreams. And we feel like if we can just all partner up and kind of squad up to see things successful, that'll be it. And so that's the idea of the platform for Subsume is to make that burden a little easier by uh, by lifting together. So for people who want to get involved with Subsume, how does that work? That's that's just simple. Just a simple, just a hand raise. You know, we're, if anything, um, it's just reaching out to us uh, through myself or Marco or our social channels. Um, I, I think for that, we're always looking for ways to champion um, underserved and underrepresented voices. Um, you know, we make sure that, you know, for any type of program or project that we do, that we're looking to be as inclusive as possible. Um, we're very intentional uh, about making sure not just for count, but for um, but for consensus. You know that we're making sure those voices are not only in the room but also in positions of of authority mm-hmm. so working with say like a, an allison cheney who has her own fantastic book and actually did win um the uh for the glyph awards uh she won it's not rookie of the year i gotta think of the way that they say it. i think it's newcomer of the year with her book uh love university but she writes in film, so she handles all the film writing and and development for the work that we do in that sense, and so and 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 she tells us what to do on that. So that that's not a thing of, you know, of us bringing her on just to say, hey, can you help us do the things we want to do? It's the things of us being able to support her and and her career, and then likewise, um, her giving us the best of, of herself in the uh, writing that she that she en- engages with us for subsume. So I think with that, you know, we're always looking to to figure out what is the story that we all that all of us can't wait to hear, can't wait to hear next that mm-hmm. needs to be out. And and I personally put my own story to the side because somebody got something better. And so right. I think we got to work in that sense of of it doesn't have, I don't have to win long as somebody I know is winning. I don't I really don't care about that. Um and I think that's always been my calling card, and probably have more projects than uh, <laughs> than, than I can get. I could, uh, I should say, but uh, in that sense, you know, I just want good stories. That's it. I don't want to have to be you're the one, right? If I I can only think of one of one for somebody that is the is the representation. We've done that history, and Hollywood does that um, to its fault, right? Is um, we we can't have just one LGBT uh, QA positive um, writer. We can't just have one on the staff and we've got our one. We can't just have one woman in the executive room. Oh, we got our one. We we have to figure out a way that everybody can feel, not only feel included, but be included. Yeah. And so I think that's the idea of subsume, right? Is uh, that by definition means to be included without effort, right? That in the Venn diagram of the things that you wanna be that you find yourself in the middle. And so that's the reason of the name of subsume is it's not a it's not you you shouldn't have to work that hard to be to be your true self right to be appreciated uh, particularly in the creative space and so if we can't find freedom and agency there then as a society we have a problem and so that's the thing of us really wanting to to just help folks tell their story I'm so glad we got to talk about this because I've been, you know, wanting to know more about, you know, when you transition to subsume and, uh, you know, what you were trying to accomplish. So we're getting a lot of good feedback in the comments too. Like this is amazing. Um, 
Danny J. Quick said, I've known Dedrin for years and I've never heard his story. This is so cool to hear. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I think and I appreciate this opportunity. I, I absolutely do not talk about myself at all. So I appreciate the um, the, the opportunity to have uh, the, the candid and uh, and, and personal uh, touch to uh, me rambling about myself. So, no, no, it, it's, it's great. And um, no, and I'm appreciative, obviously, of the support that y'all give. Not here on obviously on screen, but uh, you know, and and helping me get uh, you know get here, and I'm sure the next steps we'll all have together. So it's always a pleasure, and uh, yeah, I mean, all this is great. Yeah, we we love what you do. Um, you know, we've been following your work for a while, Sorghum and Spear. I mean, African diaspora. Uh, you had me at that. So I, I'm I'm also a fan of history. I mean, clearly. So yeah. <laughs> so anything in that space, I'm in there. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And and that's the thing is we've got, I think there's so many just beautiful legacies that are still yet untold. I mean, yeah. we, we could have a thousand lifetimes and, and wouldn't know of all the, you know, all the heritage and history of Hawaii and, and, mm-hmm. and or of any other part of, of mm-hmm. the world. But, you know, a lot of time we only get just a minuscule part that's repeated and regurgitated time and time mm-hmm. again. Yes. And when we're tired of those stories, we get those stories again. And so that's the right. thing of why I think we see such um, such passion and such uh, great engagement with um, with independent comments, particularly from people of color. Is uh, people are like, you know, what is this? What is this fantastic thing? And is uh, and it's just us. And I think that's that's what it is. Oh, I love I love this community. It's like every time I do, you know, every time we oh, talk to somebody new, it's like, oh, look at all our great people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we got we got some good we got some good folks, obviously present company included. But I, I think that's the other part um, that just drives me to just mm-hmm. just go as hard as I can just to see just to see something for all of us because it, it's just too many good people. That I think we all know any of which could be everything that we all dream. But I think we could right. all see all of us you know on that on that proverbial stage together you know all all getting our due and uh yeah and being alive to see it so i think that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's it uh, that, that's my kind of my claim to fame i just want to live to see it so <laughs> if i can do that i think we're all right well all righty i think we're at the end so for those who would like to um follow you or learn more about subsume where should they find you Thank you. Um, our main website for Subsume-related activities is subsumelife.com. Uh, we also are on Twitch, so we're rebooting that Twitch here now. Um, for our, our main program uh, annually that we have is the Subsume Summit. Uh, we do still have that original page up at subsumesummit.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Dedrin Sneed. Uh, I'm most active on Facebook. Um, so if you just ping me there, um, I'm, I'm around in that. Uh, but in that sense, I think with our kickoff here in February, we're looking at giving more engagement uh, for our main work for Sorghum and Spear. Uh, that website is sorghumandspear.com. We've got some new things that will come out with that uh, very soon and excited to kind of share and showcase uh, several projects that because of the COVID um, pandemic last year, we had to put on pause. But now trying to double up this year and and get a lot of the the work that Subsume um, has been working on out in front of everybody. So um, we're, we're very very pleased with what some some things that we'll be able to share with everybody very soon. Any closing comments, Dana? No, we're, I'm just happy that we had you on the podcast. We're so excited to see what 2021 is going to have from all of your platforms, and definitely. Uh, seeing more um, that come out of your creativity. Oh, pleasure! And again, I'm I'm excited to you know to see y'all's uh, rise again. This podcast has been fantastic. I was so happy to support the Quick Starter and and to see the the engagement already running into March and forward. And so again, you know, anytime I can 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 see great successes like this, you know, is, uh, I'm, I'm happy to support. So anything and everything I can do, um, you have it. Thank y'all. Thank y'all again. Absolutely. We appreciate that. All right, everybody. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on YouTube and on Facebook. Please 
like, subscribe, and share so that we can help uh, grow our audience. If you have um, other guests or, you know, um, stories that you would like to hear on the podcast, um, drop us an email at moananuipodcast.com and be on the lookout for more episodes coming soon. Take care, everybody. Be safe. And we will talk to you soon.